You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. One of the great joys for outdoor enthusiasts is observing wildlife when recreating in the beautiful Colorado landscape. But along with being a spectator to our state's amazing creatures is a responsibility to coexisting with them. Today we're talking about a subject that frequently finds its way into the news, especially on the Front Range. And with the weather changing soon, it'll be upon us again. We're talking human-bear conflicts on Colorado Outdoors. You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. The podcast is powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. GOCO invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife, rivers, and open spaces. Its independent board awards competitive grants to local governments and land trusts and makes investments through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Created when voters approved a constitutional amendment back in 1992, GOCO has committed more than $1.2 billion in lottery proceeds to more than 5,200 projects in all 64 counties without any tax dollars support. All right, it's time to talk human-bear interactions. And joining us is Adrian Archuleta, Area Wildlife Manager out of Durango. Adrian, thanks for joining us. First off, for starters, kind of give us a little baseline to talk about here. What was the last year like in regards to human-bear interaction around Durango, maybe across the state of Colorado? Were we up, down? Were we normal? What was it like? Down here in southwest Colorado, um, especially in the Durango area, it seemed to be a pretty average year, uh, maybe uh, – elevated slightly from, from an average year. Um, and that seemed to be the case um, from Dr. Lapeer's across uh, Colorado as well. So okay. I'd say sum it up, pretty average year. You know, I know the eastern part of the state had some pretty good moisture last year. I read something a while back about potential moisture levels, whether you're in drought, whether you're not in drought, maybe having an impact upon, you know, human bear conflict. Is there any truth in that? And, and uh, what would uh, what would you say about that? Yeah, absolutely. There is truth in that. Um, you know, uh, one of the biggest things that um, I think determines uh, what level of bear activity we're going to see as far as human bear conflicts is uh, whether we get, you know, monsoonal good summer moisture. Um, you know, that's, that's really critical in order to uh, make berries and acorns pop. In years where we get good moisture and, and those, uh, that, that food mass is, uh, is uh, you know, readily available and abundant, uh, we tend to have less interactions and conflicts. At years where it's very dry uh, or years where we have a, a freeze event, uh, a late frost, um, it can be very detrimental. Um, those bears, you know, they, they've got to put on the calories, especially as the, uh, the summer progresses, getting into the fall into their their uh, hyperphagia time frame, which is just a feeding frenzy, you mm-hmm. know, packing on, you know, literally thousands and thousands of calories a day, preparing for the upcoming winter and hibernation. So, uh, so moisture um, definitely has a, a direct impact on on, on levels of uh, conflict and incidents we see. 
I know three years ago, CPW started a new tracking system to monitor bear sightings and conflicts. I'd obviously, that's going to give you guys a great kind of you know, uh, database, if you will. Well, what have you guys learned from that process over the last three years? Yeah, I think we learned a lot. Uh, one, it, it's definitely, I think, helped us at the local level uh, better track um, kind of hotspots. Uh, you know, in the past, you know, we'd, we'd get calls, um, and we, we could track them to some degree just based on, you know, um, talking to each other and kind of keeping a finger on the pulse through the office where a lot of the calls come in and just amongst the staff. Um, but, you know, having this new database um, really puts it in perspective visually. Um, and, you know, just looking back last year, um, again, pretty average year. Um, I think it confirmed a lot of uh, we kind of knew from just years past. Um, it, it, with that being said, you know, when, when bears emerge from hibernation, um, we typically see a little activity start usually in, in March and then um, picking up as, as it progresses through the summer. But usually around that end of June, early July is when we really start seeing, um, you know, more more calls and more um, incidents. And, and that's been evident on the uh, in the database, and then depending on that moisture that I, I talked about, um, you know, it can really ramp up going into that uh, that autumn time frame if the, the food isn't really available and those bears are having to seek alternate food sources, um, or if the moisture is there, you know, it can it stays uh, you know relatively quiet. It's almost like a light switch flips in those years where sure. the food isn't there, the natural food source. You know, I, I, here I'm sitting here thinking about, and you say last year was kind of a normal year, but I'm wondering with the influx of people like we've seen here in the last 15, 20 years uh, in the state of Colorado, and that means more people, more opportunity for interaction. Uh, it, has that, do you think, increased, you know, in, in kind of the long-term uh, recent past here, uh, interactions between bears and humans? It definitely has. Um, you, you know, and when I say an average year, um, it's really, I guess, a relative in the sense that um, I think we all anymore, um, and I'll speak just again for, I think, down here southwest Colorado, Durango area in particular, we, we, we deal with bears annually. Um, and it's, it's, I think, maybe to others it would be a lot, but for us it's, it's average. Um, and then those years where it's, it's, it's uh, elevated, that's when it's really noticeable. So, um, you know, we're seeing that. So going back to the question is, you know, yeah, there's, there's, we're always dealing with this. It's humans, you know, on the landscape, whether sure. that's, you know, through development, recreation. We're certainly seeing more recreation in Colorado here in the last, you know, year for, for sure. Um, I think that's going to be the trend moving forward. A lot of people moving to Colorado for a lot of the same reasons we enjoy living here. Um, we have great resource. So I think more people that are moving here, uh, just even coming to visit and recreate, um, there, there's definitely potential for more interactions. And I, I think we can safely say we've seen that. So what can CPW do uh, to try and reduce human-bear conflicts? Now, I know that you guys have formed a, a human-bear reduction committee. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and, and kind of so what, some of the goals that CPW has kind of moving forward to try and eliminate uh, at least some of these interactions. Yeah, so outside of the uh, the, the, the committees, um, here at the local level, and, and I think for all staff that deals with parents for CPW, I mean, we, we really emphasize educating folks. Um, and, then, and that's tough because we, we only have so much capacity bandwidth um, on top of all the other things we need to do, so it's important to collaborate and work with our partners uh, to try to educate folks, especially uh, the folks that are 
are moving to some of our, our towns and cities, um, and, and as well as visitors. So it, it's really important to educate people on on how how to be bear bear aware. Um, you know, live with bears, uh, eliminate attractants. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a big big um, talking point is just eliminating attractants. Uh, so going to the committees, um, that's part of where the uh, you know collaboration starts. Uh, we have a, a bear working group down here in Durango that we we are active with, um, and now through CPW there's some grant monies that are going to be available here. Uh, I believe starting uh, the application period will probably open here in March uh, to try to put some money on the ground to help mitigate bear incidents. You know, you, you used the phrase bear aware. I, I live up in the mountains. I use that all the time with, with my family. And, and maybe some folks that listen to the podcast don't exactly know what that means and what we're indicating when we say bear aware. Explain for folks out there, whether it's somebody that lives in bear country or somebody that recreates going up in bear country, what when we say bear aware, what should we be thinking about? So big thing is, is you know, think about what you, you bring as a human to uh, whether it's again living in a bear country or or recreating a bear country. Um, bears have an amazing sense of smell. So if bears are in the area, um, they're they're going to be again they they eat, they they put on calories, they sleep, and they excrete waste. Um, so being being aware of uh, if you if you're living in bear country, how do I how do I secure my trash? Um, what else do I have? out to buy pets. Do I feed them inside versus outside? Bird feeders. Anything that can be attracted. And there's, there's, I just hit some of the big ones. You know, trash, uh, pet food, uh, bird feeders, uh, which include hummingbird feeders. Uh, oftentimes, folks, especially folks moving to this country, bear country, that aren't aware that bears are, are active in the area, or folks recreating, uh, may leave something out um, and, and not intending to attract a bear. Some people, quite honestly, think, you know, it's, it's okay to attract a bear. Uh, they want to take photos of it. But regardless, once a bear um, finds that food source, um, put yourself in a bear's, you know, um, pause, if you will, for a day. And if you can eat trash that has tons and tons of calories in it or bird seed or hummingbird, that sweet juice, that hummingbird feed, versus foraging for vegetation, sure. which, is, which constitutes the majority of their diet, um, you know, Sometimes it's an easy choice, especially if those bears are struggling to put on the calories that they need for the upcoming winter. What would you say to people, I know there are folks like this out there, because I've talked with them, that, that are afraid to report any bear issue they have to wildlife officials because they think, well, all CPW is going to come out here and do it is, is put that bear down. What would you say to those folks? Yeah, and, and I, I think we hear that a lot. And, and I would I would really emphasize that we are here as a resource, resource first and foremost. The big thing that we do when we get reports, even if it's bear sightings, and again, this, this database we have to better track hotspots, we can send folks out to do site visits, try to identify what's out there, identify any attractants. Um, and, and that's tough because I know people don't want to report, you know, their neighbor that lives amongst their communities. Um, but, but we're there to help. So if we can get out there and, and you know, help folks, um, out by educating and, and identifying these food sources or attractants and helping them secure and working with partners to find ways to secure those uh, attractants. Um, that's, that's where it starts because too often we don't get the call until it meets somebody's tolerance and everybody has their limits. And I, I think we see that more often than not now as people resist calling for a number of reasons 
and they finally call when that bear has crossed their line. And I think that line's different for, for everybody, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's the bear broke into my vehicle now or the bear got into my house or the bear you know, tore through my garage door. Um, and then at that point, it's like, hey, you need to come deal with this bear. And it's like, man, I really, really wish you would have called us weeks ago when you first started having the bear sure. active in your area. And, and, and then that's really hard on us because at that point, you know, there's, there's certain things we can try to do with that bear. Sometimes it, it leads to euthanizing that bear, which is, is the worst thing that, that, you know, can happen. It's, that's the last resort and, and something nobody looks forward to doing. So it, 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 that's a, that's a really hard thing to, um, to uh, deal with. Yep, it's better to take care of it early than it is to uh, try and take care of it late. No doubt about that. So here we are in the month of February. Not going to be long until those bears are active once again. Maybe take us through the bear cycle. You know what what their conduct is like. You know when they're coming out of hibernation, what their their summer eating habits look like. And and you mentioned uh, hyperphagia in the fall. Kind of take us through the cycle of a bear. Yeah. So when bears uh, emerge um, from the dens, um, temperatures warm up. It kind of coincides with you know. Warming, warming temperatures, longer days, um, things are starting to green up vegetation-wise. Uh, they emerge from their dens, and, and hopefully they still have a little fat um, to, to, to survive on a little bit. But they're starting to eat vegetation, grasses, dandelions, uh, you know, starting to look for, for insects. Uh, big part of their diet, majority of their diet is vegetation. And then as the, the summer progresses, um, they may feed on uh Deer fawns, elk calves, supplement, you know, with high, high protein sources like, like that, uh, as well as other uh, scavenging on carcasses. And then, again, hopefully we get good monsoon or summer moisture and acorns, choke cherries, service berries, um, a number of other uh, berries, you know, start to come out on the landscape and they really kind of turn over and hit those. And if, if you're ever out hiking around and you find bear scat, it's, it's very distinguishable. Um, you can you can see you know most of the time they're loaded with with choke cherries or, or acorns, and providing a lot of calories for them. Then getting into the fall hyperphagia, um, you know the bears are probably putting on an average looking to put on twenty thousand calories a day. Uh, wow. You know, foraging from early in the spring, a few hours a day to hyperphagia time, literally, you know, sleeping for a few hours and then just in a feeding frenzy, preparing for the upcoming winter really critical to put on that fat and lastly here before we let you go and thanks for joining us here on comment outdoors i wonder if somebody's out recreating and they have an interaction with a bear well, what's your best advice for them yeah you know, it's back to being bear aware if you're out recreating uh, just know if you, you know in bear country uh, what to look for look for signs see tracks fresh scat um, you know just just be be observant um, if you do come across a bear uh, like most other wildlife give it space um, you know, keep keep eye contact, keep eyes on it. Um, try to back away, make make noises, make yourself known. Um, if if entails, you know, backing out of the area and taking another direction, that's that's all fine and good. Um, you know, being very cognizant of, of young cubs. If you come across a female with cubs, um, most of the time bears are are um, looking to retreat, um, and they're, they're going to go up probably in nearest tree. So really important to just be observant, give them space make yourself known, and um, kind of back out of the area. 
Well, it's always a great experience, I think, for anybody out there when they do come across wildlife, and, and bears certainly are, are gorgeous, gorgeous animals. And so it's a great experience, but it's good to have the knowledge uh, behind uh, you know wh- what you're doing and, and where you're at and how to respond in all those situations. Adrian, great stuff today. Thanks for joining us here in Colorado Outdoors. Glad to be a part of it. Our thanks to Adrian Archuleta, Area Wildlife Manager out of Durango, for his insights and information on human-bear interactions here in Colorado. Remember, for anything and everything pertaining to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, go to our website at cpw.state.co.us. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Outdoors, powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Until next time, get out and enjoy the great outdoors in our beautiful state of Colorado. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a nationally recognized leader in conservation, outdoor recreation, and wildlife management. The agency manages 42 state parks, 960-plus species of wildlife in Colorado, more than 350 state wildlife areas, and a host of recreational programs from hunting and fishing to the state's trails program, boat registration, snowmobiles, off-highway vehicles, and more. All of its management is in perpetuity for the enjoyment of Coloradans and its visitors.